Isaiah 6, which is found on page 690 of the Church Bibles. Isaiah's Commission. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, for which he had taken with which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never persevering. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from Luke 5, verses 1 to 11, page 1032 in the Pew Bibles. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, Gennesaret, excuse me, with the people crowding round him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. 
I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. As we stand, a a prayer. Just as I am, thy love unknown has broken every barrier down. Heavenly Father, it's our prayer that as we listen to your word from Isaiah 6 for the next few minutes, you would teach us, perhaps teach us again, how your love has broken every barrier down. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Please do be seated. Thank you to our readers. Um, If you would like to follow, then do turn back to Isaiah 6. That's how we're going to be spending the lion's share of the time. It's page 690 in the Church Bibles. 690. And if you're a note-taker, you'll see on the back of the... um, Notice sheet that there are my headings. They may help you to orientate yourselves. Well, the human eye and the human ear are amazing inventions. I'm told that the human eye can delineate between 10 million different shades of color. That's what yours are doing now. That's what mine are doing right now. If the human eye were a camera, it would have 576 megapixels. I don't know what it would cost from Jessup's. The ear, it takes sound vibrations, modifies them into electrical impulses and carries them up our nervous system to our brain in such a way that we can digest it as sounds. That's what your ears are doing now, listening to me. I hope it's okay. With our eyes and our ears, we digest, we navigate, we understand the world around us. Without them, we're in darkness. We're in silence, and we're lost. Our passage today, Isaiah 6, a wonderful and majestic passage, gets our eyes tingling, using all those megapixels, gets our ears vibrating, because it's a passage in which our senses are titillated. Uh, John Lewis, last week, uh, Kate and I meandered over to the television section. Dangerous move for my wife. And uh, I was drawn magnetically to, 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 to the most expensive television in the whole store. And to start with, the price tag looked far too high. It was £3,500. But after three minutes of enjoying excerpts from uh, Transformers and having my senses just massaged, I thought, this is worth it. It's worth it. <laughs> but this passage should do the same for us. It's the commissioning of a prophet, a a spokesperson on behalf of God, Isaiah, and he sees in ultra HD 4K technicolor the living God. And towards the end of the passage, quite soberingly, we see people who are deafened and who are blinded. My first heading, 2020 vision and the holy God, terrifying, verses 1 to 5. Well, in 740, 739 BC, we see there's the death of a chap called Uzziah. He's the king of Israel. 
and we, we don't really bother about him. We move straight beyond his throne to see another throne, a second throne, the throne, high and lifted up. Verse 1, it's the throne, actually, of the Lord. Uh, Isaiah sees a number of things. He sees the throne room, the temple, filled with just the tail end of his royal robe, such is the sumptuous nature of that garment. He sees seraphim. It's a word that literally means burning ones. It doesn't mean fat baby with wings. Seraphim. And, and they're covering their faces so as not to see the Lord and be destroyed by his holiness. They're covering their feet so as not to offend the Lord in his majesty. When we speak of covering up, it's normally a, a question of modesty. But here it's a question of self-preservation. Verse 4, if you look down, there's shaking. The Bakerloo line runs under our house, and whenever a train comes through, our wine glasses gently tinkle. But this is more than that. You'll see the doorposts shake, even the thresholds, the foundations of the earth. And uh, there's smoke. And as we all know, where there's smoke, verse 6, well, it's not exactly fire, but there's, there are live coals. It really is quite a dramatic sight. And it's a picture using the constraints of human language of the holy God. And that word holy means blazingly pure, other, set apart, divine. It's quite a sight. And don't you think it's worth pausing for a moment, having digested a bit of that? Because this is a picture of God which stands quite apart from the God who's discussed in our day and age. The little G God who's discussed in our papers, maybe down our pubs, in the office, well, he's at best, perhaps, a stimulus of intrigue. Uh, maybe he's a source of embarrassment at the dinner party. Please do not bring up religion. People are very alarmed when they find out what I do for a job at a dinner party. At worst, we fear he's going to stimulate violence. Honestly, God with a capital G who's taken seriously, well, I mean, religiously motivated terrorism is all over our screens. Please don't talk to me about God. It makes me feel nervous. Perhaps we've battered him about like a, a ball, uh, ideological fun down the pub with our friends. I don't know, but he, he's a small God, the God of the 21st century, isn't he? A figure of fun. But if Isaiah had stumbled into the 21st century and come across this pygmy of a God that whom we're familiar with, he would have choked on his tea, would he not? For the God he has seen stands quite apart. He has a capital G, and I don't doubt a capital O and D to match. Do you see, he's a God who is weighty and real and there, and in fact a God who is holy, and therefore a God who's terrifying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. I wonder if that threefold repetition struck you as Matthew was reading. Why the three? Is it overkill? Maybe it's an unimaginative work of a poet. Can't think of another word. Maybe it's a theological stammer. Or is it? 
You see, the way Hebrew language works is that repetition underlines and underlines and underlines a concept again and again and again. And these seraphim, if you put them in yourself in their shoes, I doubt they had shoes, but just run with that. They're trying to convey the character of God in the briefest possible way. And they have to start with that word holy because it's where you start with God. He's other, set apart, morally pure. And they say, well, where should we develop this from here on in? And they don't have a capitalization button. They don't have an underlining button. They can't italicize it, so they just have to repeat the word. They say, well, how about holy, holy? Okay. I know we can improve it. Let's go holy, holy, holy. And the way the Hebrew language works is it's a way of saying God is holy. And we think, yeah, okay, I get that. And then they say, no, no, he's holy, holy. That's holy, holier than anything you're thinking of. And they say, no, 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 he's holy, holier, holiest. He really is a holy God. That's what they're saying. And it spells danger for Isaiah. Did you see his response? Woe to me, I am ruined. Same response to Simon Peter in that fishing boat. He realizes Jesus is the living God. And he says, get away from me, for I'm a sinful man. You know, some things are never meant to mix in life, are they? Petrol and a naked flame. Don't do it. Mothers and messy bedrooms. Never meant to mix. Because the one will consume the other. And Iona and Charlotte will discover that in good time. And so many of us spend a lot of time trying to keep the one apart from the other. We don't want that combustible mix. And Isaiah here has realized that humanity and the living God are just such, in it's just such a relationship. Combustible. You can't mix the two. The one will consume the other. A holy God and sinful people like you and me. I'm told that if you want pure copper, you repeatedly melt it and then cool it. Oxidize it and reduce it again and again and again. And the flames and the heat burn off the impurities. Oh, that's right, I'm not a chemist. But the holy God does the same thing. He burns impurities in his presence. And the problem with me walking into God's presence right now is that my impurities run so deep that he would burn me up whole. That is what Isaiah realizes. He is scared. Woe to me. Not, wow, what a show. Woe to me. 2020 vision. Holy God. Terrifying. Second point, it's, it's a wonderful point. Unclean lips and the merciful God. Humbling, verses 6 to 8, if you're following. Back to the passage, verse 6. Uh, the drama continues. One of the burning ones, the seraphim, brings a burning live coal towards Isaiah. Now, what are you thinking if you're Isaiah? Oh my goodness, what are you going to do with that? He's in the presence of the Holy God. He's fearful for his life. A burning coal's running towards him, or rather flying. And then an interesting thing is done with it. Verse 7, with it he touched his mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Now, our society's take on guilt and, and sin is, is intriguing. I think if you think about it just for a moment or two, I think it's slightly schizophrenic. Run with me for a moment. On the one hand, the words progressive and permissive come hand in hand in our society. To be in a more advanced society, we're in a more permissive society. 
What you do behind closed doors, what I do behind closed doors, is nothing to do with you, nothing to do with me. Who am I to judge? Judgmentalism becomes a sort of sacred cow. I mustn't be seen to be judgmental. Very permissive society we live in, 21st century. That's not all bad. And yet at the same time, we're very judgmental when it comes to some things. If I mention a few names, you'll know what I mean. Ched Evans, Lance Armstrong, just given his first interview after two years after admitting to doping on the Oprah Winfrey show. Our society judges people like them pretty quickly. Now, I'm not saying there aren't complex answers, there aren't complex problems there, but I am saying that we're slightly schizophrenic when it comes to guilt. Are we permissive or are we judgmental? Is there justice? Is there mercy? What's the right thing to do? And you'll see that debate spread right over the BBC news pages at the moment with those individuals. But when it comes to God, he's not confused when it comes to guilt. He forgives, he's merciful, he's got that patented, it's what he does. So the burning coal came from the altar. Now if I can say this reverently, the altar in Old Testament times was rather like the clock at Waterloo Station. It's the place where you meet people. Where should we meet? Waterloo. Okay, whereabouts? Under the clock. Have you ever done that? It's the place where you meet people, except the altar in the Old Testament was not the place you meet friends in London. It's the place you meet the Holy God. It's where his presence was focused. It's where his friendship was won. Because at the altar, sacrifices were made in our place. Because as sinful human beings, we, there's a penalty for sin. And Isaiah recognizes that. There has to be a death in his place. And this coal is taken from the altar, and it's a symbol of the forgiveness that God offers in answer to sacrifice. There's another picture. We saw it uh, this morning with Iona and Matthew and Charlotte of washing. God reaches out to the sinful person like me, like Charlotte, like all the rest of us, if we'll let him. And he washes us, not outwardly as I did with Charlotte's forehead, but inwardly, the deepest clean in our hearts. He washes us, he forgives us. And that is what the living God is doing with Isaiah right here. So there's Isaiah, he's forgiven, his heart rate is dropping, cold sweat on his hands dissipating, and then suddenly the living God is speaking again, he's speaking again. Have a look down. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? He's looking for a PR man. God always does this, he needs to be represented in the world, he needs a prophet, a spokesperson, and Isaiah is caught up in the moment, it's delightful like a child, isn't he? He says, here am I. Send me, his hand shot right up into the air. Delightful. And the Lord's response, verse 9, go. Okay, you're hired. Go. It's the commissioning of God's prophet. Now, we aren't God's prophet. But there are some lovely lessons we can draw from this. The first, I think, is that God is so merciful that he doesn't just desire proximity with us, friendship, but he desires partnership with us. He takes Isaiah on to the payroll. He says, come, let's work together. Let's partner in this. Let's tell the world together about me. And did you notice he's willing to work with a man of unclean lips? What's Isaiah going to be doing? Speaking on his behalf? He, he, he's so merciful. He uses people, broken people like me, like you. So there we go. The holy God, the merciful God, and finally blinding and the fair God. 
It's thought-provoking. Honestly, what did you make of verses 9 to 13 when they were read by Matthew? I have to say, as a preacher, it was tempting to have them left out. The feeling was rather like if you've done the washing up and you put your hands into the soap sud water, you can't see what's underneath, and there's a sharp knife. You think, oh, golly, it was warm and comfortable until I touched that. Because the rest of the passage is so majestic and so merciful. And, and the last few verses, well, they're kind of uncomfortable and maybe even cruel. So we've got to think carefully about what they mean. They certainly weren't what Isaiah was expecting. You imagine him there, hand up still. I'll go, choose me. He says, go. He's like, great, what are we going to do then? Well, you're going to harden people's hearts. You're going to stop people listening. You can imagine Isaiah's face falling, confusion coming over his eyes. Sounds cruel. It's an odd thing, isn't it, to commission a prophet so that he's not understood. That would be like inviting a plumber into your house to create leaks. No, they're meant to do the opposite. Or going to a comedy show and a comedian makes you weep with grief. It's meant to do the opposite. It's very confusing. But we've just got to look at the context. See, when Isaiah comes onto the stage, at this beginning of the series of Isaiah here at St. Michael's, he comes onto a bleak stage in Jerusalem. The people of Israel have been rejecting God's calls for mercy and God's warnings of judgment again and again and again. And their city, Jerusalem, is rife with uh, social exploitation, hypocritical religion, promiscuity. It's all rotten to the core. And God has repeatedly said, come back to me, I'll sort you out, I'll help, I'll be merciful. And they've said, no, we don't want it. And paradoxically, the way in which God punishes them here is by giving in to their wish. He punishes them by giving in to their wish. If someone persistently says to the living God, I don't want you in my life, the answer comes back eventually, okay, I'll leave. It's pretty stunning. In Isaiah the 30, the people are very explicit. They speak to prophets like Isaiah and they say this, and I quote, Give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Stop confronting us with God. In other words, I don't want to hear about God anymore. He's a nuisance. Go away with your God. I just want to have my weekend to myself. Thank you very much. I'm not interested. Have you got it? That's their message to Isaiah. And in a shocking acquiescence to their demands, the living God says, okay, I'll leave you without me. And so even as Isaiah preaches, they'll be deaf. Seeing, they will not perceive. They can read the financial times very easily. They can read the weather forecast very easily, a, children to their st a, a story to their children at night very easily, but they cannot understand the things of God anymore. They're deaf and blind. It's not that Isaiah speaks in a very complex way. They, they even tease him later on for speaking too simply. It's not that he stops preaching at all. He preaches for the whole of this massive book. It's just that they can't hear anymore. They can't understand. It's very interesting as I close, that we see exactly the same thing at work in the New Testament with the kindest man who ever lived, with the God-man, Jesus Christ. Very interesting passage in Mark 4, you may want to read it later, where 
Uh, Jesus tells a parable to a, a, a massive crowd around him. And the people listen. They're interested. Many of them don't get it. And most of the crowd leave him. They just head off to make supper that evening. There's just a small bunch of people who stay. And they bug Jesus. They say, no, no, tell us the secret. Tell us what you are on about. And Jesus says, okay, to those outside, everything's in parables. But to you who've asked me, I'm going to reveal what I was on about. And he quotes this bit from Isaiah. In other words, it's a huge encouragement. Jesus will never turn anyone away who wants to understand what he's on about. He'll never turn anyone away who wants to understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He gives the secret to us if we want to hear it. It's wonderful news as we finish. So as I close, what do we pray for little Charlotte Emma Thorne as we go forward? Well, don't we pray that like Isaiah, she would have eyes to see the living God in HD, ultra high definition, and ears to hear him speak, and that she would delight to follow him and be rescued by his mercy. And we pray she wouldn't be deafened nor blinded. I'm going to pray, in fact, that now for her and for us as we sit. Let's pray.